Hello, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on the fascinating world of near-death experiences, spirit communication, and all things metaphysical and spiritual. The mission of this project is to share messages of hope and inspiration with others, and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. Thank you for being here with an open heart and mind. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, Magic Israel listeners. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I have with me the lovely Carmel Bell, straight from Australia, where I was born. And the reason I have Carmel here is that Carmel is one of the leading medical intuitives in the world. She is the author of the book, When All Else Fails. She is a near-death experience, survivor experiencer, I'll have you elaborate, Carmel, when when we begin, um, because as I said, I don't look to, like to put words or phrases in your mouth that don't resonate with you. Um, sure. And Carmel also discovered uh, metatronic energy, which she writes about in her book, and healed her own brain using this energy. So we have a lot to talk about today, and I want to thank her. Thank you, Carmel, for being here today. You're welcome such a pleasure to have you so pleasure to be had well thank you I always like to start by learning a little bit about you because I always like to know where somebody came from and what their perspectives were before mm -hmm. I know a spiritual journey tends to be just that a journey some mm. people had no spiritual beliefs some people had strong spiritual beliefs so I would like to know before all of this happened what did your life look like? You can start wherever you want, as a child, wherever mm. you want, in terms of your spiritual beliefs and attitudes. Mm, let me see. Well, uh, I was born you were. in a normal way, yeah. but my, my journey kind of started, well, um, as soon as I was born, and um, being that... Um, my parents' best friends were coming to visit them uh, whilst my mother was pregnant with me. And on the way, they had a car accident. And um, the, the wife of the duo died and the husband survived. Now, the wife's name was Carmel. So when I was born... <clears throat> Uh, and I was unexpectedly a girl that my mother was expecting a boy, uh, she thought. And uh, I was born and she thought, well, I've got no idea what I'm going to call this baby. I was going to call this baby Nicholas. Uh, and my father said, why don't we call her Carmel after our friend? So um, they named me Carmel and I became known amongst my siblings as Dead Carmel. So that was my nickname was Dead Carmel. And naturally the husband, Kevin of Carmel, stayed in touch with my family. And I think the last time I actually spoke to him, I believe he's dead now himself. The last time I spoke to him would have been about eight years ago. And he still up until he died, would say, oh, that's right, you're named after my dead wife, Carmel. <laughs> uh, 
So I sort of grew up with this moniker hanging over my head. And um, anyway, I, you know, travel through a little bit of time and uh, come to four years of age um, where uh, just by way of explanation, my, my mother was the daughter of a very wealthy, renowned man in Australia. And my father um, was the son of a titled but very poor family. And my mother was Church of England. My dad, my dad was Catholic. And um, they, um, thus, my mother actually never learned how to clean a house, is my point. And she grew up with, you know, maids that cleaned and, and did all the ironing and the cooking. <clears throat> and her clothes were, you know, custom made for her, that sort of thing. So she married my father, who was from a poor <laughs> family. And um, she didn't know how to cook or clean. Like, for instance, the first meal she made for him, he asked her if she could make bacon and eggs. So she boiled the bacon. She didn't know. <laughs> She didn't know what to do. Mind you, she is now a superb chef. She's a brilliant cook now. <laughs> but in the beginning, not so much. And she really didn't know how to clean. And she really actually didn't have any interest. Like that was something that she didn't do. <laughs> so I grew up uh, with a bit of an obsession about tidiness. So I would often clean as best as I could for my mother. Anyway, one morning at about 4.30 in the morning, I woke up. I didn't know why, and I was a bit bored. So I hopped out of bed, and I thought, oh, rather than lie here and be bored, I'll go and do some cleaning for mum. So I walked through our house. We were living in the country then, and uh, into my mother's sewing room, and it was cold. It was July, so, you know, in Victoria, very cold. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd recently had a hernia operation. So instead of pyjamas, which I preferred, I was wearing a nightie. And I turned on the little electric heater in the room, which back in those days basically had no protection. They had a couple of strips of like coat hanger wire in front of them. And I popped that in front of her work table and started to clean. And what I didn't realise as I was leaning over was that my nightie had swung into the heater and caught fire and so engrossed was I in my cleaning that I actually didn't notice until I got a face full of smoke and then my legs started to hurt and I looked down and I was flaming away and I thought what do I do go to mum and dad so I just turned and ran which of course just you know <laughs> the matter you know the matter a whole lot worse and uh, so at about five o'clock in the morning, my father woke up and he's unaware of what woke him up. And then he realised that he could see a light on down the house. And he thought, oh, I'll turn it off later. I won't worry about it now. And then he realised that the light was flicking, like flickering. And he went, oh, my God, got up and ran and found me in the hallway lying on the floor ablaze. 
terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying for him. So he, um, and I had a nylon scarf tied around my head to get my hair out of my face. And he <clears throat> rolled me over onto my front and started beating the flames out with his hands and uh, screaming for my mother to come and call an ambulance. And of course she came out and was devastated and so forth. And um, in the country, you know, ambulances would have to mostly come from Melbourne. So, you know, they said to my mother, well, you can't be there for, you know, who knows how long. And so he threw me into his car, wrapped up in a blanket, drove me to the local hospital where they um, knocked me out and treated me. And I woke up, I think, you know, a few days later, covered in bandages and mercurochrome, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. And, um, but in between the time where he found me and uh, got me into the car, I died. And um, it would have been very briefly and it would have been all the jostling that woke me up. And it's probably the only death experience I've had where there isn't actually medical uh, professionals saying, yes, she's dead. But um, anyway, I found myself in heaven and um, I spoke to uh, a being that called himself Jesus. And he said to me, I am your father and your grandfather. And um, which I later found out uh, kind of the truth of. And there was another being with him, which was a very huge being. And uh, his name, he introduced himself to me as Metatron. Now, I'd never heard of Metatron. I had no idea that that was, you know, even a word or a name or anything like that. And they spoke to me and they told me about my journey to come and what I was meant to be. And that basically they had orchestrated this so that I would find myself in heaven where they could put me on the path. At that stage, I wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. I was very determined. My godfather was actually a medical doctor and, and uh, he and I were very, very close. And... Um, I was quite excited at the thought of becoming a doctor like Uncle Jerry. Anyway, I, um, when I came home from the hospital, I told my mother what had happened and I said to her, who is Metatron? And she looked at me really strangely and said, Metatron is uh, an archangel uh, in the Bible. And um, he is a bridge between heaven and earth. Well, Metatron had given me this energy straight into my hand. He said, this is my energy. You will use this. And, um, you know, and you can use it now to heal yourself. So I did. When I was in hospital, I would call or remember the energy and I would feel it on my hand and I would put it through my body. And thus I actually... Um, you know, managed to heal most of the scars. I still have a few scars on my legs, but very, very little. Like if you were to look at me, um, you can't see any evidence of burns on me, although I have all the hospital records of the burns. They, they, 
they basically healed very well and very quickly. And uh, the doctors also told my mother that my kidneys were damaged. And um, when I was 10, they wanted to do a kidney transplant with a plastic kidney, which would have meant a very short life. And um, I healed that too when I was 10. <clears throat> they also said that I possibly would not be able to have children because of the damage to my body and kidneys. And well, I have four children. And um, anyway, so that was my first near-death experience. And I knew from then that, um, well, the other thing that they told me, which was very significant, was that I would meet and marry a person called Bernie. And um, that would be my partner in this uh, venture, energy transfer to the world, I guess. And... Um, so I knew from then that there was very little point, in fact, of really trying anything much, although I still tried my best at school. Of course, you know, I loved getting, you know, A's and A pluses and so forth. And, you know, um, but I knew that I would never be what I wanted to be. And... Um, from then on, I could also see spirit and hear spirit, but I had no idea of how to protect myself from these beings. So I would often get attacked by negative entities. And so I actually had a lot of trouble with, you know, um, various depressions and so forth. And, and um Look, it was terribly difficult to be a young child and um, have all these things attacking you and not know what was what was going on. And, um, of course, my father being Catholic and my mother being a uh, converted Catholic, I had to go to church every, you know, week. And I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, but uh, the saying is nothing so virtuous as a reformed hall. And... <laughs> <laughs> pardon mum and uh, so you know it was very it was a very catholic house my mother very adamant about catholicism yeah you know and uh, so it was to go but I used to I used to argue with the priest all the time because he would say you know you need to pray to god your father and I'd say god's not my father I've got a perfectly good father of my my own mind you and you know all this sort of stuff. So we had um, the, the local priest, Father Fred Doolan, and I <laughs> had many, many debates about my belief that I didn't need to actually pray to God and I didn't need to, you know, as Father, and I didn't need to stay in a church that, you know, a church was made of people, not stone. And <laughs> right. Yeah. And did you, I know that you said you didn't exactly understand what was happening, but no. did you know that it was related to, do you call it a near-death experience? Not everybody does. So I just. Oh, I do. That, yeah. That was in my other three experiences. I don't call near-death experiences. I actually call death experiences. Yep. Because a lot of people who say they had a near-death experience have an out-of-body trip. Maybe they astral travel or, you know, occasionally they 
they fall over, bang their head, they're unconscious. And they say, oh, I had a near-death experience because they had an intense dream. And a lot of them have absolutely no witnesses. You know, they say, oh, like I died in my sleep and then I managed to recover. And I think, well, look, um, I've had two cardiac arrests in my life. And trust me, you don't. You just don't. You know, (laughs) your heart does not spontaneously start beating again after right. you know, after a minute it can go into fibrillation and all that sort of stuff and yeah then it can start again but if it stops if you have a cardiac arrest you need somebody to restart that which is why we have cpr and you know right all that sort of machine and fair enough they they had an intense spiritual experience i don't deny that and i don't discount the um the intensity and the plausibility of their experience. But um, I am an astral traveler. I actually teach people to astral travel and I know very well the difference between astral traveling and a near-death experience. And it's like um, getting a postcard from France or actually going there. (laughs) Right. Yeah, good analogy. Which would you much rather do? And if you get the postcard... Have you been to France? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, after this particular experience that I know informed your whole childhood and mm-hmm. growing up, mm-hmm. um, I, and I also wanted to ask you the Metatronic energy, I assume that was just instinctual when you said you took it back with you and used it when you were healing. He put it into my body. Right. Like he coded, he coded my, my body. So I, I actually had that code with me gotcha so now you can fill in anything I'm missing but I do know that uh, because I know this isn't your first near-death experience but um I know 2009 that's the one that is your where you had a heart attack yeah so would can we start there and just kind of talk about what happened then I know that you were um quote unquote, well, I don't know. You were dead for 47 minutes. So um yeah, 47 t- you- minutes after the ambulance arrived. Gotcha. So I knew that I was going to die. I'd actually been told, I think when I was 14, that I would die at 47 years of age. So I was kind of <clears throat> expecting it. And I had developed some, I don't know, 10 years earlier. I had developed a, um, a brain tumour and um, after about 10 years I was really tired of living with that so I um, agreed to surgery to remove what they could and the first surgery failed so they did a second surgery and then the second surgery failed and I understand why, basically, because I, I come, the tumours were caused by my intuitive gifts and um, they needed to be there. But, you know, like they were harming me. And um, after the second surgery, I knew that I was very uh, at high risk of dying. In fact, I was pretty sure I was going to die. So I'd done all the things like written out powers of attorney and I had my will and I'd organized my own funeral as a matter of fact like what songs I wanted added how I wanted to be buried and uh, and they were going like 
people were going to be given lollipops with uh, that actually uh, had the world in them, you know, things like that. And um, how festive! Yeah. Well, I wanted to be. I wanted yeah. it to be a joyful occasion, um, really. Like you know, they could come along either because they were glad I was dead, or <laughs> because they wanted to celebrate my life. You know. I didn't really mind as long as they all had lollipops yeah. and played my played my music. So um, anyway, did you have night, any? Sorry, did you have any fear around this at the time? Yes and no. Like, mm, yes, I did because I didn't. I didn't really want to die. I felt that I had more things that there were more things for me to do and I wanted to see my children grow up like my eldest son was let me try and work he's 41 so 31 you know he's in his mid-20s and my youngest child was um, eight or nine or maybe 10 I can't remember actually and I didn't want to leave them behind without a a mother and I was very devoted to my husband so I wanted to you know, I really wanted to live and do more things with him you know there were more things that I wanted to experience but I knew that if that was it that was it and that you know really what can you do you know except for I looked back at my life and and I've had in some parts a very you know I've had a pretty wild life I must say like when I was younger I was you know I was out of control <laughs> yeah I was an out of control young lady and um but I'd also saved I don't know thousands and thousands and thousands of people you know so yeah it was a mixed mixed feelings I do remember you know I was going to a wedding uh, the night or the evening of the night I died because obviously changed midnight it was February the 14th my um, niece was marrying and I was quite excited to be going to the wedding because uh, her husband is a Muslim and it's the first time I'd ever been to a Muslim wedding and she had converted to Islam so that she could marry him and um, I you know I was really intrigued and just very 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 proud to be there you know and I, I wanted to be joyful so I was getting ready for the wedding and um, I looked into the bathroom mirror and I was putting on my makeup and I looked into my eyes and I could see that I was actually dead already, that this now was just the body. And what a lot of people don't realise is that the body is a vehicle. This is like a car and we, the soul, are the driver. And me, my soul, had stepped out of that and was just peripherally that word you know on the side peripherally yeah <laughs> thank you yeah connected and um I just started to cry and I couldn't stop I just could not stop crying and I cried like I have never in my life before or since cried and 
um, I had a cat who recently died. His name was Mary Dog. What? And, um, um, can I just Mary stop you for a second? Yeah. Ever since, oh my gosh, ever since you got on the phone, on the Zoom with me, I keep hearing Mary, 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 and I was going to ask you, do you have someone named Mary in spirit? I just got, uh, well, yes, I do. And Mary Doc may be trying to talk to you. I He's, just got full body chills when I said that because I've been mm. holding off on it because I was going to ask you later. I just yeah. keep hearing Mary, 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 Mary. And I was like, ask her about Mary later. That's well, okay. Mary. Mary is a very, Mary was perhaps one of the closest souls oh. to me ever. Um, oh, no, no, he's a cat and people go cat, whatever, but. You know, he was one of four, his story is actually, he was actually one of four kittens who um, was born of a mother who was a pedigree and the father, she got out and got pregnant to uh, Moggy of some sort. And uh, she was an Abyssinian, I think. And uh, so when she had the kittens, was the owner decided to let her have the kittens rather than abort them because abort, when they abort them, they removed the uterus. So she wouldn't have been able to breed anymore. So he let her have the kittens and then he was going to drown them. But my sister uh, was friends with him and she said, don't. Uh, she said, I will take all the kittens, let, let mum you know, feed them and look after them until they're old enough to be weaned and I will take them. So the guy did and my sister did and uh, take the kittens and um, she gave away two of the kittens to another other friends and she took one herself and she said to me because uh, she knew I did not want an animal my my last cat had actually disappeared a couple of years before and I was pretty upset about that and I just thought I don't want this responsibility so she asked me if she could borrow my son James who was 12 at the time and yeah 12 and I said sure and she went out with him and she came back and James is carrying this little kitten and um, Sarah walked in with James and she said Carmel I bought you a kitten home and I said, oh, I don't want to look at it. I'm not going to fall in love. I'm not going to fall in love. And I looked at him and I just fell in love. And um, anyway, Mary, the other three kittens died more than 10 years ago. The last one died. And uh, Mary lived to 19 years of age, even though he had fiv. Oh, wow, <clears throat> yeah. He had um, contracted fiv not long after birth I don't know how I don't know maybe his mother had it already and um anyway so you know and um I remember when the eve of me dying one of the things that gave me the greatest grief was that I would be leaving Mary behind and I I was absolutely distressed at the thought that I'd be leaving him behind Anyway, so I um, dried myself off, <laughs> calmed down my face, put on makeup and we went to the wedding and I watched this wedding and we were all happy and joyful and we came home, got home about 2am or 2.30 and I went to the bathroom and took off my makeup and I thought, I'm still alive, maybe I was wrong. And um, I went to bed and kissed my husband goodnight 
And the next thing I knew, I was standing up in my bedroom and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, half asleep, wobbling a bit. And I thought, well, what am I doing? Why am I standing up? And I opened my eyes and I looked at the clock in our room and it read 3.08 a.m. And then I looked down at the bed intending to get back in and there was me in the bed. <laughs> and wow. I, thought, I thought, holy shit, I'm yeah. dead. Yeah. Pardon me, swearing, guys. It's all right and, um, to me anyway. Yeah, so then I tried to get back into my body, you know, like I lay down on my body and I found myself standing up again and did that a couple of times and I thought, hmm, I'm not getting back in. And then I thought, I need to wake up my husband. I need to wake up Bernie so he can save me. And he was a paramedic at that stage. And um, so I started trying to shake him and I couldn't. So I started yelling at him. And eventually about 10 minutes or more later, he woke up and I thought, oh, thank God I'm safe now. And he got up went to the toilet and I thought oh great yeah and um, anyway a few minutes later he staggered back to bed hopped into bed and leant over to kiss me good night and um, did that and then went oh Carmel what have you done now turned on the light and I'm lying there blue <laughs> and um so he started to resuscitate me and called the ambulance. And by it was actually the firemen came. They were faster. So by the time they got from their station to our house and got the trolley down our very long winding hallway and into our bedroom and got the bed out of the way and me off the bed onto the floor and started their CPR, it was 47 minutes from that moment to um I took a breath so um, we really don't know how long I was dead for but it would have been over an hour yeah <clears throat> yeah and what was obviously you had that out of body moment where you saw yourself there during yeah. that time and I, I from what I understand you were also in a coma after that is this is that that same time yeah yeah just after so do yeah. you have um, other memories of um, do you have other memories of where you went during that time well while my body was being resuscitated once once that happened I actually left um, there had been like a light source waiting for me which I had been ignoring sort of like moving out of the way yeah. you know yeah. like go away go away not ready go yeah. away and um, once once uh, Bernie actually started the CPR and I knew he'd called the ambulance. I stepped into that light source and I was then in, in another dimension. And I was back in the place where I had been three times before. And, um, and, you know, and Jesus and Metatron and two of my guides, Peter and Hiram, were waiting for me. And so, you know, we had a bit of a sit down and relax. I cried a lot. I whinged a lot. Yeah. I moaned a lot. I asked them a lot of crazy, crazy questions like, 
where's God? Can I meet God? And they said, well, you can't. Um, see that light source up there? And I said, yes. And they said, that is God, what you call God. God is neither male or female. He is no being and he is every being. And see all those uh, bodies, spirits flying around. And I said, yes. And they said, they are going back to source. Uh, they have chosen not to be reincarnated. So they are going back to source where they will be renewed and healed. And um, where they go or what they do from there, I don't know. Perhaps they go back into the mix again. And, you know, I asked them things like, um, is homosexuality, uh, you know, like illegal? And they said, no, love is love. You know, love is yeah. love kind of thing. And, um, you know, basically the, the biggest rule is, is if you do something that brings harm to another being, um, that is wrong. You know, for for instance, things like, um, you know, these are the kinds of things most people want to know. It's things like, say, pedophilia. That brings harm. And that is wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, zoophilia, that brings harm. And that is wrong. And murdering, and that brings harm. That is wrong. And, you know, assaulting, that brings harm. That is wrong. And, you know, it's pretty... It's pretty clear and easy to understand when you think about it. There's not that many rules. It's do no harm. Do no harm. Do not take from someone without permission. And if you coerced somebody, that's not permission. You know, it's like so many people think that if they uh, get somebody a bit drunk or drug them or you know, kiss their neck in a certain way and that person melts into it and sort of says whatever or, you know, just to shut you up, I'll concede. That is wrong. Mm -hmm. That is wrong, you know, and it doesn't matter how people try to colour it, that is assault and that is wrong, you know. I think that we humans... Um, really struggle with you know we we think oh but they said yes or at least they didn't say no or they didn't you know <clears throat> but this is a person in a state of fear and it's even the same with with healing like a lot of people in the healing profession think that that it's okay for them to give healing to somebody without their permission as long as they've asked their higher self mm -hmm. right i've asked your higher self and they've told me that you know you need this well don't ask my higher self i'm sorry ask me i'm the driver ask me keep your healing to yourself you know um that that is an assault and um, a lot of healers don't recognise that. You know, if somebody contacts me and they say, oh, I've got, like, you know, I got contacted a 
week or so ago by a woman who said, I have a 24-year-old son and blah, blah, blah. I want an appointment for him. She's asking. She's asking for him, an adult, for him. That's, that's not her right. She has no right to make that decision. You know, if he, she contacted me and said, he's afraid and he has asked me to ask you, I would say, okay, fine. I will happily have a session with him and offer him healing if he asks me himself. And even when he came to me or comes to me, I would say, are you here of your own volition? Is this what you want? And if he would say no, I would say, please go. Please leave. I'm not going to do anything to another being, even with animals. I ask them, mm -hmm. do you want this healing? Do you want my help? And sometimes they say no. Right. Like my cat, Mary, you know, I kept him going for a long time, a long, long time. And um, giving him healings and love and so forth. And he wanted all of that. And then he reached a stage where he actually ended up with cancer of the jaw. And I gave him healings and I kept him going. And eventually the cancer grew into his mouth. And I could have kept him going. I could have, you know, like syringe fed him and all that sort of stuff. But I said to him, do you want any more? And he said, no, I am ready to go. So I let him go and all of his family, animals included, we all gathered around him and we had him very, very peacefully euthanized. He would have died like he would have, if we hadn't have chosen that, he would have died by starvation. Yeah. And he almost had, like, he'd gone from a nine-kilo cat and that was muscle. Like, he was a big boy, strong and, you know, to under four kilos. He was a walking skeleton. Yeah. You know, and, but it wasn't until then that he was ready to go. He still found great joy uh, coming to sleep with me at night and curling up into my chest and just purring and he would just lie there and purr and purr and purr and then after an hour or so he would get up and he would wander off and find somewhere to sleep on his own or if I lay down on the couch that I'm now sitting on he would sit on my chest which is what he did after I died when I came back and was at home he would come every day and he would lie on my chest and put his head under here and he would just purr and purr and purr and that was actually his way of healing and he right. would send this vibration through me that would help that helped my brain and my body to heal right and actually so, oh yeah, yeah sorry i had a question um, yeah, um one is one thing is that he came he just came through to me and said the same thing it was a thank you for doing everything right and respecting and respecting that because yeah, like no, I said I no, yeah and I just and he showed me a window like there was a window that he used to it, it felt like a window that he liked to sit in um 
uh, it was like a special window and it feels like you yeah. might even have something there that reminds no, you of him. Like, you know, like uh, behind my bed, there's just uh, a huge, like say two and a half meter square, clear flat glass window behind yep. my bed. Yeah, because he said that was my. He just said that. He said that's my window, and I just kept seeing it. Um, and I'll and I'll uh, go to the to the question. But I, it, like I said, he kept saying, "Say Mary, say Mary, say Mary," and I was like, "I don't want to bust this on her." But I know that he came no. through, and I felt as soon as I said it out loud, I got this rush of energy that you might have felt as well. And also, for some reason, I kept seeing like. I don't know what it is. It almost looks like a watercolor painting or something like that has little. I don't know if it's a peacock, but it has little like circles or it looks like where you put the paintbrush in little dots all over this thing. And for some reason I saw it as turquoise. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but yeah, it, it, came, does. it does. It does. Okay. One of my hobbies is, um, oh, was making little lead lights. And um, in that window, there's uh, a, a lead light seascape and sailing ship. Yes. And in this window behind me, which is now covered up, there is a lead light of um, like a, a, a planet and stars and yeah. blues and greens. And, yep. you know, I saw it clearly and yeah. it was his way. He's showing me that you painted and that he was with either with you when you were painting. Um, but he also kept showing me his special window that he said, that's my window and that you might even have something there in his honor. So I just wanted to let you know that he came through to me so strongly just mm. now. I mean, even before we started talking, I was like, there's somebody here and I'll, <laughs> and I'll get back to it. But as soon as you said his name, I yeah. knew that it was him. And so mm -hmm. that's, oh, and I, I'm a cat person. So he knows that, but I, mm. you know, I'm a cat person and a medium. So he's like porch lights on. Um, so I, I love cats. So I know that he's, he's with us right now, which is so special. And yes. I, and I'm, I, love and I'm, every, I love every animal. I do too. And I'm, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, but we know he's, he is here with us right now. Yeah. I wanted to ask you because there was a, 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 at a time when I asked you if you had been afraid to die the first time when they told you, you know, that you won't make it past 47 or whatever it was. And you said that you had, you know, you, you felt you had done a lot of good work. So I may need to backtrack because I wanted to ask at what point you actually became a healer for others. Um, professionally, I became a healer for others at about 25 years of age. Um, when the, the, the drive in me became overwhelming and in fact, I couldn't even stop it, you know, um, but it wasn't a healer. I, I wouldn't describe myself necessarily as a healer. I'm, I'm a diagnostician. I, I'll tell you what's An wrong. Intuitive, yeah. And um, like, you know, I'm very good at telling people when they're going to die. Wow. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you come to see me and you're slated to die in a month or whatever, I'm, I'll tell you. I'm not afraid yeah. to tell you. Um, and if I can stop it, if you want it stopped, I will do my best. Sometimes people come along and they just say, look, I know I've got this terrible condition. How much longer have I got? And I'll give them a time frame so that they can, you know, plan. Prepare. Yeah. 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 
So, but about 25 years of age, um, I, I found myself, I was actually a, just a fashion designer and dressmaker at that stage. I've got a marvellous wardrobe. <laughs> I can There's tell. not a woman alive who does not love my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I've got dresses from, you know, from the 1950s onwards, like original, stunning, stunning. Anyway, whole storage unit basically full. Um, I was making a wedding, not a wedding, sorry, an uh, uh, evening gown for this client of mine who had been trying to have a baby uh, for a long time. And she didn't know that I was uh, clairvoyant and, and a healer. You know, it certainly was not something I wanted people to know necessarily. But one of my guides came through and said to me, you need to tell her that her baby is in danger. And I said to her, her name was actually Patsy. And I said, Patsy, I know that you don't know this about me, but blah, blah, blah. And she was about six months pregnant at this stage. I said, there is, your baby is in danger. And she said, what do you mean? And then Peter showed me this image of a fetus and this other growth that was overtaking the baby. And this is actually a form of, of, tumor that only occurs in pregnant women and grows with the baby and then outgrows the baby basically consumes the baby so you know it kills the baby and the baby you know blah 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 and you end up giving birth or being seized of this hideous mess and I told her that and um, she was pretty distressed and uh, you know like so she turned around and walked out straight away and uh, she later contacted me and she said, you know, to thank me because she left straight from my um, place of business and got on the phone and rang her uh, obstetrician and got an emergency appointment and she told him that she thought that there was something wrong and he organised an ultrasound and they found this growth and then they actually put her into hospital and what they did was they gave her a cesarean removed the baby um, and removed the growth and then put the baby back in and stitched her up and uh, left her in hospital until the baby was you know a little bit more viable and then gave birth or seized the child so that child would be over 30 years of age now and after all that had happened she came back to pick up the dress <laughs> good i had made for her yeah all's well that ends and well pay me and right. thank me very much and it was from that that i realized that maybe i wasn't just hearing voices that's what that, I, yeah yeah that maybe i had a gift but i didn't know how to control it that's what so, my next question was going to be Hmm. so continue on I, I was going to say yeah. how did you know how to control what to it. do with how to control yeah. it how to harness it yeah because you know 
having a natural gift is one thing, but becoming yeah. a master of that gift is another thing entirely. Yeah. And, you know, you'd be very advised to find somebody who will train you. And, you know, I've actually looked around at circles nowadays and they confuse and conflict. Actually, one of my sisters has just recently sort of sat in a circle and, you know, with a clairvoyant and, and uh, another healer, and they've actually told her, because she has had some training with me that they, that she knows more than they know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is like when I trained, I found this woman, Jill, who trained, uh, but she would train only six or five, sorry, five students. So there was a total of six people in the room at a time. And there was no <clears throat> end to the training that was prescribed. You might be in circle with her for three years. You might yeah. be with her for two years or one year or whatever. When her guides told her, you were ready to graduate, you graduated. And only when a person graduated would another person be allowed in. And I heard of her. Um, one of my sisters had been to see her and, and um, she told me about her and I got this really strong impression I needed to go see her and ask for assistance. So I did. I got in my car and I drove over to her place and I knocked on the door. I didn't know any of the rules or regulations or whatever. And she opened the door and she said to me, what took you so long? I've been waiting for you. And I thought, what the, uh, you know? And um, she said, come in, come in. So I went into the house and she said, sit down in a room. And I did and started doing a reading on me and, um, which was very accurate and quite surprising. And, um, and at the end of it, she said, um, and you can start in circle next week. I've had somebody who's just left. And I said, oh, thank you. Uh, what do I owe you for today? I didn't even expect this. She said, oh, $20 would do. So I gave her $20 and arranged to start in circle the following Saturday and I walked out. And um, whilst I was with her in training, I wasn't allowed to practice at all until she told me that I could. And about 11 months later, she said to me, you can start practicing for probably 10 months. You can start practicing on real clients now. You can't charge it. So I did. I put up my hand and people started finding me and I gave them readings and that was really good. And then about another month later, she said, you're ready to graduate. You can start practicing. You're free to go. And um, she told me that I had got through this very, very quickly. So I think I put a little ad in the newspaper and um, started getting clients. Like they just literally started rolling through the door. It was almost out of control. And I remember one day this lady came to see me and um, she had grown up children. I know this because one of her daughters was with her and the daughter was about 30 plus, 35. And uh, she said to me, do you mind if my daughter stays in the room? And I said, oh, I don't mind, whatever, as long as you're happy. So I started doing the reading for her and I said, you know, this and this and this. And I said, um, Oh, actually, my guide said to me and tell her she's got four children. 
And I said, and you've got four children. And she said, no, you're wrong. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I have three children. I said, do you? And Peter said to me, she has four children. Tell her daughter to leave. And I said, mm. ask your daughter to leave, please. And she did. And when the daughter was gone, I said, you have four children. My guide has told me this. He doesn't lie. You do. And she burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And um, so she told me what happened. Uh, that was she and her husband, before they married, uh, they were quite young, she fell pregnant. And so she had the baby and they decided to put the baby up for adoption. About two years after that, they decided that they wanted to still be together and they wanted to marry, so they did. And they went on and had, uh, that was a boy, the child they gave away. They had three daughters. But they had never told their children that there was an older full sibling out there in the world. Anyway, then she called her daughter back in and she told her daughter while I was there. And they paid me and left. Always got to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Always got to pay. This Always is my living. Exactly. My living. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what but, I feed my children on. And um, yeah. she left. And after that, I realised that I needed to. So I, I started seeing, you know, like I started to really become serious about this. So I started seeing more people. And um, then one day a doctor heard about me and she came along and didn't tell me she was a doctor. And um, my guides by now had decided they actually wanted to be medical, you know, and do like physical, psychological things. They mm -hmm. weren't interested in when you were going to get married or if your husband or wife was okay. playing around or, you know, if your dog was unhappy on their diet of like canned pal you know, like <laughs> dog wouldn't be you know can't feeding a dog canned food you're slowly poisoning them so you know um they were medical anyway so I started telling this person what I could see and then my guides actually broke their own rule they said tell your boyfriend that he has this condition and uh, this lady you know thanked me and left and then she contacted me um, to have a conversation with me to tell me that she was a doctor and that I had been completely correct and that she would like to send clients to me and uh, I agreed and thus began my foray into the medical world like doctors started sending me clients and they started coming as clients and uh, it got so overwhelming that I actually had to um, say to people that they needed a medical referral from their doctor to actually see me. And I would write reports back to the doctors and so forth. And thus I ended up being the only non-medically trained practitioner who was a part of the Integrative Medical Association. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, yeah, that's... It was, it was I did hear you speak about something that I find really interesting. Uh, I love Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me, where she talks about how emotions 
can create physical ailments. And mm. I saw an interview with you where you said they always do. I think that's right. Did I quote mm. you correctly? Yeah. So yeah. I'd love to hear it you speak true. about that. Yeah. Well, uh, it's not as simple as say, you know, you've got Louise Hayes and, um, and uh, Annette Noontill and Inna Seagal and so forth. They have books where, you know, you can get a sore hand and look up what right. does that mean? This yeah. is what's wrong or you've got this and that means that that is what's wrong. And like on a very basic level, yeah, um, you can say, yeah, that, that, that is true. But it's as true as often as it's not true. Mm-hmm if that makes sense. Like, um, not every person who has sore feet or sore knees have issues in their grounding in the community, right. for instance. Yeah. You know, it, it can actually be something completely different. And I find that a lot of people, you know, we, we are humans, we go one of two ways. We like to overcomplicate it to the point where nobody can understand it but ourselves, or we like to simplify it to a point where, you know, you say to yourself, well, I've got this, I'll pick up the book, what is it? And then I just have to say this affirmation and it will all, it'll all be great, you know? Yeah. And then they're a little bit disappointed when it's not great. And mm-hmm. then somebody comes along and says, well, you know, you haven't connected with your inner child and you haven't connected with your higher self. And fundamentally, I say to them, you know, do you really think that God is so inconsiderate and stupid that that force made it so difficult to be human that it has to be like that? You know, this is actually really quite simple. You've got an illness in your body and anything could have caused it. And the simplest way to find out what caused it is to look and say, when did this start? Right? And say you've got a disease that you manifested when you were, when it was 2020. Look back. Just look back. What was going on in your life at, say, somewhere between 2013 and 2015? What was going on? Because that's the cause. Makes so much sense. Right? That and makes it could be anything. That could be, you know, your dad died, your cat died, you had a car accident, somebody called you an effing bitch, you know, right. whatever. And you've taken that in. Yeah. And that has built it. Where did it land in your body? Was it a gut punch? Was it a sucker punch? Was it a blow to the heart? Because who said it to you? You know, like even even that matters. Like if your mum said to you, for instance, today, oh, you were such a little bitch when you were born. I couldn't stand you, right? Mm -hmm. Where would you feel that? In my stomach or my heart. Okay, maybe both. Yeah. So maybe you're going to get indigestion. Maybe you're going to get palpitations. And uh, somebody like me might come along and say, 
how was your relationship with your mother? And you go, oh, great, we've always loved each other. Okay, but what's happened in the last little period of time? You go, oh, my God, for the first time ever, she told me such and such or so and so. You know, it's not as simple as people or not as clear cut as people, you know, try to make it out to be. I mean, my job as a medical intuitive is as much as anything is to be an investigator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how are, okay, once somebody gets to the root of why they have a certain ailment, what are the ways in which we can heal those ailments? Well, some of them are very obvious ways in that you look at what's happening in your body and you use physical supports, which may be um, medication and uh, to speak to that very clearly, very strongly. A lot of people won't use Western medicine because it's not natural. Well, you know, Western medicine is actually based on natural substances mostly that we find Mm -hmm. in the natural world and do you really think it would be in the world if it wasn't really meant to be used Mm -hmm. western medicine has saved all of our lives you know i don't think in australia and america and you know just oh yeah you know first world countries there's almost not a single person in this these countries that aren't immunized right? right the vast majority of us would be dead or deformed mm-hmm. if we hadn't had um, immunizations against polio whooping cough tetanus mumps measles you know rubella yeah. all this sort of stuff right be grateful for what we had use it wisely you know use it wisely but don't don't disuse it because it didn't get plucked out of somebody's garden you know right and there's a lot of really lethal things in the garden like if I wanted to kill myself all I'd have to do is go outside and munch on a few of my plants yeah I'll just go out there and I'll have a little bit of a leaf you know bite of this and oh this lily looks tasty I think I'll you know munch down on that you know and I'll be dead before you know it right and what do you what's say you're in an abusive relationship and you Mm. develop this health condition does Mm. just simply getting out of that relationship solve it solve it no yeah no that's what I thought you would say no not at all because you know you've got a pattern in you and you have to explore where that Mm. that pattern came from and then you have to, you know, like it's not impossible, but, you know, that's why I'm more of a diagnostician. I mean, I'm going to put healing through and very strong healing and I'm going to fix what I can, but that doesn't preclude you from still needing to have maybe surgery, maybe counselling, maybe whatever, because, um, you know, when I was growing up in, in, in earlier relationships, I had a tendency to choose men who were uh, very strong and dominating. Yeah, and I think also a lot of the reasons we end up in relationships, say in my example of if you're in an abusive relationship, you have to get to the root of why that's what you attracted or that's what you were drawn to or what deeper 
self-esteem issues do you need to self-love issues or self-esteem issues do you yeah. need to work on? And um, one theme that keeps coming up for me is my voice. I was a uh, selective mute as a child. And yeah. then I became an actor and a singer. And then I developed a vocal disorder. <laughs> and I, you know, I knew the whole time it was happening that this is about me not using my voice. It's about me not speaking up for myself. It's about me. There's, and it's, it's a whole theme throughout my life of using my voice, performing with my voice, mm. and yet constantly having vocal problems or as a mm. child, shutting down my voice because it was the only thing I had control over. And I, yeah. in, in a world where I felt helpless and powerless um, due to severe anxiety. So Shannon, I had the same problem. Really? I barely said Buddha goose when I was a child. I I really did. But then as I grew up, I became a singer. And um, then I wouldn't speak to people when I was out, you know. And uh, when I died last time and intubated me, they destroyed my vocal cords, um, which often happens yeah, with intubation. It's pretty common side effect. My starting note before that was C above middle. Yeah. I Every I time I have surgery and I had just had hernia surgery like you did. And yeah. I said, every time I go into surgery, I say, be so careful of the vocal cords. Do mm. not. I mean, if you're intubating me, just please be careful because yeah. that happens. It does happen to people. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. you know, I can still sing, but it's very husky. Yeah. You know? I can still do voiceover now after two and a half years of uh, voice therapy, yeah. but I get yeah. strained very easily, but yeah, yeah, I have yeah. healed a lot of the, of that. It's still something I work on, but I'm so much better at speaking up. And the more I speak up, the healthier I am vocally. So I find that yeah. th there is definitely a tie. So, there is. yeah. So um, to wrap up, I'd love to hear what you're doing these days. I mean, assume you're still practicing your medical yeah. In, in yeah in, i am yeah. i am actually at the point where i'm considering um uh, retiring mm -hmm. and um so i've actually just started looking around to see you know what else i might do with my life and it turns out that um 35 years of medical intuition practice and years and years and years of being a fashion designer leaves you with very very little <laughs> in the way of qualification i'm great right. at running it. i'm great at running <laughs> it's understand. so funny it's like what do you call you know i mean seriously i have been looking around going i wouldn't mind retiring getting out of this game i'm i'm really tired of of doing this for for people you know it's not like you get an enormous amount of gratitude or thanks and it seems sometimes that i'm the world's best kept secret like I don't advertise and people find me from all, all over word the of world. Mouth. Yeah. And, um, and yet um, very, very, very few people leave me like feedback telling me how good I am. They'll write to me and tell me how good I am, but they won't leave it, you know, on my site. And, you know, and like with my book, they, so many people have read it but they all get it from libraries or from each other or, right. you know, and um, or they, you know, order it and then they don't leave a review. And I think I've sort of reached a point just lately. It's been quite bizarre where I've gone, you know what? I don't know if I could be bothered anymore. I don't know. 
Like I'm a right. little bit tired of, of, you know, it's like being uh, Superman and every, I don't know, have you ever seen that show, that movie, Dr. Horrible's, Dr. Horrible? I don't think I have. Well, there's there's a, a hero in it called Captain Captain Hammer, Captain Hammer, and an anti-hero called Doctor Horrible. And Doctor Horrible, before he became Doctor Horrible, was a normal guy who actually saved the heroine. But when she came to, as it were, she saw Captain Hammer putting his hands against this truck that's rushing towards her and she thinks he's saved her. So this ordinary guy invents Dr. Horrible and starts doing terrible things because he's so pissed off that Captain Hammer, who'd done nothing, had got all the accolades and he had, you know, whatever. And, you know, I I understand, not that I'm going to become Dr. Horrible, but I just... I just sort of thought, you know, I don't know. Maybe I just need six months break. Anytime you do anything for a long period of time, it can drain you. And especially when you're doing this work of service, um, as much as it's such a gift to be able to do, I just, I wanted to ask you though, uh, let's say you weren't practicing. When Mm. you, as we talked about how you have to harness this, right? Or you have to learn to Mm. control it. Like, It's funny Mm. because I had a reading the other day and it was the first one where I just couldn't connect for this person. And I felt so bad about it. Um, And I was like, I don't know why I just am not in that zone or whatever. But then, like I said, I'll be talking to you, not even intending to channel. And all of a sudden your cat's coming to me and starting to give me messages (laughs) because I'm not even thinking about giving you messages. And suddenly it comes organically because I'm not under pressure to do it. So I wonder in, as you walk through your life and it's happened when I'm with friends where suddenly I'm like, Mm. who's this person? And you know, when I have to sit down to do it, I can do it most of the time. I would say like 90%. I'm very very good. I'm very, very uh, disciplined. I can do it anytime. That's what I wanted to ask you. So if you decide Mm. you don't want to do this professionally anymore, can Mm. you also turn it off? If you're I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, if you're walking yeah. through the world and you're hanging out with someone, you just don't choose to do it. So, oh, no, you won't Look, feel... looking at you, for instance, right now, and there's a lot of things that I've seen on you, but I choose to not focus on, on them. Right. You filter you know, it out. The... Yeah. Yeah. You filter yeah. it out. Exactly. Just, yeah. And I, I think we do that. You just put your consciousness in a different place when you're interacting with humans. And um, sometimes I do get a strong message like that. Like I said, when you were talking about, um, it was the moment where you said I was named after and they were going to name me. And you said they were going to name me. I heard Mary. And I just thought, oh, I must've just made that up. But then you kept talking and I heard Mary. And I was like, I'm going to ignore. And then Mary, (laughs) I'm like, all right. So that's when I know I can't ignore it. And that at some point, mm. I usually do it after the interview's over. I'll say, by the way, there yeah. was someone here trying to get my attention, but I can also just go through a normal day and never think yeah. about it unless I want to. Sometimes I work yeah. at a daycare and I like to just, when I'm with babies, it can be, you know, they're adorable, but you're just in, there's not much going on. It's like, you're just keeping babies in line. And sometimes I choose just 
to kind of be with spirit. So to make the time kind of pass. And, and then, uh, so I can kind of choose whether I want to be in that zone or not. And so it, that's what I wondered mm. is, will it impede your ability to sort of just go through life as a quote unquote normal um, person? I'll just, I'll be exactly as I am now. I mean, they're, they are always with me. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, I look and I can, you know, see, see their, their energy. I close yeah. my eyes and I can see them. I actually have like a diagnostic room in my head. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So. I think that Carmel's next, like next chapter is just diving into your art and just doing that. Thank you so much for being here, Carmel. It has been such a pleasure to hear about your experiences. Thank you for sharing your insight, your wisdom. It's so interesting what you're able to do. And thank you for being of service. My pleasure. Always happy to be of service. <laughs>